Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Foundation and Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Foundation on Apple TV+. This is the feedback episode for season one, episode five, Upon Awakening. Respect and enjoy the podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first of our feedback only issues of the podcast uh, talking about foundation. Uh, if you're hearing this and it's not Friday, what, the 21st, the 22nd, it's not it's not Friday, the 22nd. You still may have time to get in some email, uh, get a get a question to be considered for our interview with uh, David Goyer, the showrunner of foundation. Uh, send your feedback into foundation at baldmove.com and make sure you put Goyer, G-O-Y-E-R, in the subject line so I can harvest that in time for the discussion. Because that will probably be released uh, next week as a, as a special edition podcast. But yeah, we got uh, our immediate pressing business is to see what people think about episode five and all the prece- you know the, the season so far at the halfway point. Uh, foundation at baldmove.com is where you send that feedback in. And let's just go right to it. Rick K is up first, says, I love the show and the depth you go into. Well, thanks, Rick. Is Cleon the first still alive or was he frozen somehow? Why is he in that contraption? I feel like the look on his face seems like he's very surprised. He also doesn't look to be in bad health or otherwise near death. I wonder if Demerzel surprised him and he's pulling the strings of these puppets. What do you Mm, think of that? I hadn't considered that. I thought he was like. Well, frozen and carbonite implies that he's alive. I thought he was dead, but preserved in a cocoon of essentially resin i don't know uh whatever that stuff is yeah i don't because dimmerzel said it was harder for the first because he had to go through this knowing there was only a baby with his eyes and this implies the disintegration chamber but we know he wasn't disintegrated or at least no i feel like that body is his real body yeah. So maybe the first one they did like flash freeze him. Maybe there is a potential to like thaw him out and uh, get the the pure. <laughs> is that where they're getting the, the clone DNA Cleon. from? Do they do they have like I, a little hole in there? That they stick a big needle in and pull out a, a few stem like cells. Jurassic Park, like, yeah. like he's he's Jurassic Park. This is the Amber. And yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. I don't know. I don't. I I I don't know how they they do the process. Um. But like. Yeah, I mean, I, since he is unique and singular in the fact that he's his body is preserved because until the disintegration chamber happened, like we talked about, I fully expected when he stepped into that flickering machine that he was going to be, like you said, frozen in carbonite or whatever the hell this is. Mm-hmm. Um, I was shocked when they got disintegrated. So he's this. This is a singular thing as far as we know. Um, them keeping the Cleon Prime's body in some kind of corporal state. So whether that's significant or not, again, can I stress this enough? The books do not touch on any of this stuff. No, no. So, you know, who knows? It, it, it does seem like they are going to certainly be more personal and hands on with the 
destruction of the empire or the disillusion or the floundering of the empire. Like we're going to go really see the this the the um what do you call it? degenerate the degeneration the degeneration of the galactic empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rick also says regarding Harry watching a scene where he k- was killed, uh, they showed Raish remove something from behind his ear. So some sort of monitoring device was removal of that device. What caused a ship to say he was dead. We noticed that in s- episode two and I kept on waiting for it to be relevant, but you're right. Uh, he does have something behind his ear that was removed and I'm, I'm not sure the show has, has, uh, has given any more hints about what that is. No, honestly, I didn't even remember it from four, three episodes ago. So, so those are definitely things to keep uh, our eye on as uh, for unanswered questions going forward. But yeah, I'm sorry. Don't you, uh, you hit on some mysteries here, Rick. Mm -hmm. We'll have to see, see what the show says about them together. Next up, Dom. I don't know that Salvor has a power per se. I took her predictive abilities more like a very intense burst of deductive reasoning, kind of like Sherlock on the show Sherlock. It felt to me like she was hyper-focusing on behavior and facts to produce her deductions on the Grand Huntress. I can't explain her ability to walk through the null field, but I will try. Let's pause here. Um, I thought the whole point of the coin trick was yeah. to, to, to point out that this is not something that could happen naturally, or at least it's exceedingly unlikely. Yeah, there's, there's no body language naturally. to read from a coin, right? There's no tells that a coin would have when you flip it. Yeah. Unless, I mean, unless she's just very attuned to her own physical uh, motor processes. And when she flips a coin, she can intuitively tell how hard she flipped it. And, you know, therefore, which side it's going to land on. I mean, you yeah. have to do a lot of like stretching to say that this is somehow not not a like power she has, but I don't know. I'd label that a power. Yeah, too. She'd have to have some kind of superhuman control over her body and right. like super fat, like, you know, can detect, can actually see the coin flipping in real time and can snatch it. I, I, and, and the other thing is, or if it's a trick coin, I feel like the episode needed to tell us that, that <laughs> yeah. episode, like, oh, Hugo's like, how did you do that? And she's like, ah, trick coin. And she sh- shows something and it just like morphs back and forth or something. So like mm-hmm. if we find out three episodes that this was some kind of trick, because because, yeah, if it's just her, you know, cold reading Farah, because you could say that this is like, you know, a psychic doing a cold read. Like, hey, is there anyone in the room who has family that was destroyed by Trantor is you is you. Oh, OK. Uh, and you must have had a brother. No, a sister like. That's one thing, but the coin flipping, yeah. I think, is there to specifically say this is something supernatural. Um, mm-hmm. But but we'll, we'll see. Uh, Dom wants to explain uh, how she can walk through the null field without special powers. Let's see if he does it. If we know that there's a preventive field that surrounds the Empire to protect him and it's a DNA based thing, perhaps the null field is set up by Selden using the same technology to account in a way for the eventual outlier in Salver Harden. Maybe she has some permission based in her DNA, which would point to her being Gale and Raish's kid. Should really pay off on the idea that Selden may be orchestrating more than we thought here. Could be crazy. I don't know. I find it hard to believe these things aren't connected. I feel like the show is mm-hmm. telling us without holding our hands. Um, there, I agree with you. I, I think there is a connection between all these things. We just don't have enough information yet to know what it is. Yeah, the DNA, the DNA thing seems strong because yeah. I guess I was leaning more towards, well, it's just she has some kind of special power. Um, but you're right. 
all the fields that they've talked about so far have all been coded based on DNA. The thing that protects the settlement, the thing that protects uh, Empire. It might not be like her whatever precog abilities unlock. It's probably just genetic. And and I, I at this point, like I know I've been kind of pussyfooting around it, but like I feel like the show is just unambiguously pointing us down to the salver is that I, I that, that I, I guess the embryo that was removed from Gale in episode yeah, two could, could certainly be. Um, and I think yeah, the more information we get, the more likely that seems. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk briefly about that kind of relates to all this is I, I don't think Harry Seldon and the Foundation or Terminus or whatever have any like it's super advanced technology right beyond what the Empire has. So when no, it, at least the show hasn't that? told us that if if it were, were to be true, um, yeah. So so any of the technology we've seen needs to be sort of constrained by what we know of the Empire's technology. Right, and, and so that genetic that. stuff, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. If Harry mm-hmm, Seldon, mm-hmm. I mean, he would at at the point that they've got like the embryos, he would have genetic material, right, that he could code from. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that that is totally possible. Let's move on to JP telling us a tale of woe and tragedy that was happily adverted. Says, "I want to tell you, or sorry, I wanted to say a quick thanks for saving Foundation for me." I saved that foundation for watching during a work trip and watched the first three episodes. I thought it was compelling, but I thought it's way too clever for its own good with all the time jumps and the non-linear storytelling. <laughs> mm-hmm. found the clone succession fascinating. Jared Harris dying in episode one totally blew me away. Then these random characters battling space archers on Terminus was cool, but hard to follow, especially when episode three showed their arrival and the actual fighting had taken place in episode two. Way too timey-wimey, so I gave it up. I thought I'd listen to your views on the long drive home, and that's when I realized I'd mixed up the episode order and accidentally watched episodes <laughs> two, four, and three in that order. Oh, God. Complex storytelling, to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thanks for helping me realize the cock up, and I'll go back and watch episode one and see if things are a bit clearer. I imagine they will be. You know what? Um, I got screwed up on an Apple TV program, too. Uh, mm-hmm. Somehow, I watched an episode of this season's Ted Lasso. Uh, there's yeah. a character that was like kind of um, a, a big deal for him to come back to the team and to the show. And I'm like, Oh boy, the next episode, I can't, I can't wait to see how they deal with that. And the next episode, it's like fully integrated, no bubbles, no troubles, no commentary. And I'm like, geez, that was kind of a big nothing burger. <laughs> and I found out that I, I'd, I'd flipped the episodes around too. Um, yeah. I, Let's, uh, this has nothing to do with the quality of foundation. Apple TV's interface, at least on my TV, is kind of quirky. Quir- quirky like in the how? same way, I don't know, man. Like I feel like all of these things have slightly different flaws. Like For example, the flaw yes. of HBO Max is you can continue watching something, but if you want to go to like the next episode or explore the seasons or stuff, you really got to go around Robin Hood's barn to get to where you want to go. It's like four or yeah. five clicks and you're forced to play something before you can abandon it and go to more. I feel like there's a little bit of that with the Apple TV stuff. For example, if I want to watch Foundation, uh, I almost can never get to it from the main screen. I have to like go and yeah. s- scroll through the TV series and get to that way or hope it's on the top banner or I don't know. And I, I feel like that was part of 
I think part of the problem with the Ted Lasso is that you were watching episodes too, so mm-hmm. I assumed it was where I left off. It was where because it, it doesn't support user profiles. So right, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a real nightmare. I, I found that like a lot of these services, when you watch the last episode in a series, will just kind of remove it from your view um, until right. there's a new episode. But if you want to go back and watch an episode again, which I frequently watch these episodes what, twice, please. then sure. you have to go digging. You have to go to the archives. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it's like you know an infinite number of hexagonal rooms with an infinite number of four hundred four hundred and ten <laughs> page texts. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I yeah, I feel like that. Um, a lot of this stuff, I feel like IT patents must be the blame because there's there's like got to be a ideal way to present media to people, right? Mm-hmm. You know, serialized media collected into episodes and seasons, and like they all do it different because they probably all have exclusive patents on the one click to watch it probably. or whatever. Like you know, Amazon had the buy, you know, they had a patent for buy click one buying things at one point. It's 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 a mess. We need another ten years to sort all this stuff out. Uh, let's move on to Josh. So, hey guys, just got done listening to the latest episode where Jim, I think, proposed that maybe Azura was a plant, no pun intended, knowing that Brother Don would throw himself out the window. Azura, I think, is the gardener. Yeah, they attended. Uh, Aaron pointed out that they couldn't know that because you can't predict an individual's actions, only the whole of society. Ah, but the Empire is not an individual. It's a single person that lives over there over and over and over again for 400 years. So this could actually make Empire's actions equally quite predictable. I find him always asking this uh, question. Is this hmm. the first time that a brother has done this or does this happen every time? I yeah. feel like it's definitely the latter. I feel like Demerzel's role is to make sure that every new brother stays on track. It's important that the person closest to the Empire is one who never changes and who knows every one of his or their predictions or predilections rather. She's seen it all and can anticipate and most likely guide them to a predetermined question mark outcome. I guess my point is I like the idea of Azura as part of a family that has placed themselves in a position to be able to have some influence over a Dawn when he eventually stumbles or questions the way things are the way they are. Who knows? Maybe they've even tried this before. Um, This is a good question. I, what do you think? What? OK, what do you make about psychohistory working on the individual of Cleon because he's not an individual? Um. Well, that's not how I understand psychohistory. It's more prediction of the masses, not prediction of of a single being. <laughs> and I don't want to say right. like one person because, yes, you could say that Cleon is many people. I don't know. Um, but but he's certainly not the masses, right? So like. I, it's an open question of whether psychohistory would work on Earth. Like, if we were to discover it, psychohistory, mm-hmm. would psychohistory work with a roughly 8 billion people and, I don't know, 8,000 years of recorded history partially to work with? I don't know that it would. Like, I think my understanding of psychohistory is it literally takes trillions of people over millennia to get the model to where you can then make predictions based on like, like the masses of people. Mm. Like it's like big, you know, we even talked about like, can is, is terminus too small of a collection of individuals to properly yeah. simulate and the psychohistory or analyze. I, I, I don't know. And I don't know what the, cause the show might have a different opinion of that than, than my opinion and the book's opinion. So, but and- yeah, I think 14 people is at, in, with 400 years is by any definition too small a sample. Yeah, and I think the show has already told us 
uh, in the first episode that he can't predict Empire's movements, right? Because he thought he was going to be killed at the trial. Um, right. And that didn't happen. So, yeah, that was all within the purview of, of Empire. So probably yeah, I mean, not. If I'm, a, if I'm a show watcher, I think the idea that Harry Seldon might be full of shit is mm-hmm. definitely in the mind because like not only can he not per- make individual predictions, but like, you know, how the empire would react. But I guess that's, that's where it starts breaking down because he's trying to guess what an individual, the empire would do to him, an individual. And he was obviously off, but even if he, and so if he's off on that, then how does that affect his calculations? I mean, that that's clearly what they're playing with, with, um, you know, this this escape pod uh, backup plan that may or may not have been intended for Raish at this point. Like it's mm-hmm. it, it, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell uh, as far as uh, the idea of Azura is like some kind of outside person trying to gain influence over Dawn. Uh, that's a brilliant idea. Um, I hadn't considered it. I thought that she's just kind of being sucked into this thing because she just happened because that's the thing. OK, like how didn't we even say that in episode four like if this is an outside agent how the hell would you know that this guy's going to jump out the window and have this meat cute yeah, at the scene yeah. of the suicide <laughs> like wow. do you just like you know try like our 95 percent of the palace gardeners <laughs> plants from different outside agencies or whatnot like oh, I, yeah. I don't know so that's the, the the hurdle I have to buy on that theory. But it'd be a great theory, yeah. If you tr- you you know if you can buy off the Empire's babysitter, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, you've or her, his wet nurse, you've got a huge influence over them. So uh, we'll see if that's where they're going with the story. Marcus says regarding the odd behavior of Brother Don from Episode Four, could this be signs the clones are degrading? Maybe a descent into Mad Emperor territory with each subsequent generation. When Brother Dusk is about to die in the previous episode and saw the new Brother Dawn being born, didn't he say something like something's wrong here before being hurried along by Demerzel to be disintegrated? Uh, you are correct. Uh, he did say something's wrong. At the time. I mean, I mean, at the time we both interpreted, interpreted that as just him getting cold feet. Mm-hmm. And like, this is something that like maybe. You know, every emperor, when it's time for him to shuffle off, it's like, whoa, 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 there must be something wrong with the plan. It can't be time for me to die. I still have more to say and still more to do. Yeah. Like, and that still could be the case. But it does seem like, I don't know, I feel like the, the new Emperor Dawn was half-baked. Uh, he's either openly rebelling against the way and, and kind of like shuffling his feet and slouching and not sitting up straight the way like a rebellious teen does, or he's just not as studious as we've seen other emperors be the one other emperor we've seen as a child, you know? Yeah, no, you're right. There, there's something wrong here with Don. Um, I, I guess we'll just see how it plays out. Um, RJ, in your discussion of the third episode, you talked about Selden's people who are setting up the foundation and it dawned on me that while these people were following Harry and quite intelligent, they're also children of the Empire, people who are afraid to take missteps. They're literally sheep. I, I think, they didn't they say that the vast majority of these people even came from Trantor? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So, uh, he continues, Harry Seldon knew this and also recognized that his living with his followers would mean that he would become just a man. This is highlighted when a person working in the botanical gardens called him Harry. 
Selden understood that for the foundation to succeed, belief in it had to be stronger than one man could sustain. But a martyr is much more powerful. The power of a martyr is mentioned a couple of times. Just a few thoughts. Um, I don't know. Do you think this is a problem that, uh, you know, the show has told us the people who are afraid to make, you know, to, to, to are too afraid about some kind of grand plan or design or, or, or job can make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that's a fair characterization of the people from Terminus? Uh, it could be, but I think like importantly, this is the kind of thing that psychohistory is designed to actually predict, right? Is, is how people of a culture when faced with different things, uh, different stimulus are going to react and interact with each other. So I think if Harry, everything Harry was doing was done for a reason. And I, I, I think he, he, he correctly surmises that yes, a martyr is going to be more powerful than one man because it creates a movement. It creates, you know, something, something larger than himself. And, that's kind of what we're seeing play out. And I think you're always going to have people sort of drifting in and out of that, right? Whether, whether they're from Tranto or not, you're going to have people who are like, well, you know, I'm not really on board with the, the Harry Selden guy anymore. You know, I'm, I'm just here living my life now and I happen to be on Terminus or whatever, but you're also going to have the, the movement that hopefully can withstand some people breaking off from it. Uh, and and maintain this strong core over time. Yeah, I think I agree with that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's move on to J.J. Johnson, who says, I think you're missing a fundamental piece of psychohistory. Not only does it take a very large group of people to make predictions, it also takes a very long range of time. It's easy to forget how long 500 years or 1,000 years actually are. These long intervals, one person might change what happens for a generation or even several generations, but 500 years, in a 500-year span, there's about 20 generations. So if some of the model predicts an event will happen, but it doesn't because one person prevented it, there's still many more opportunities for that event to happen. Yeah. So like, um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Mm -hmm. we did a bad job explaining it. I think I understood both of those things, but this fine point at the end of like, like if the emperor, there's some prediction that some rebellion would happen and the empire would successfully quash that rebellion. I imagine in psycho history that would just ratchet up the pressure on that particular thing. And that pressure would then go to some other outlet to be relieved. Mm-hmm. So, and even Harry would say, it's like, I don't know if this is going to happen. Like you could probably lengthen your demise. You could probably hasten your demise, but you can't escape it. Like it's kind of like uh, Thanos. <laughs> well, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's it, there's a certain inevitability over the course of time. Uh-huh. Once these conditions have been met, it's like a nuclear reactor so, that's going critical. Right. And there's no way to put right. the genie back in the bottle here. Yeah. You could release right. some of the pressure, maybe cool it temporarily. And, but eventually that thing is going to boil over and, and uh, yeah, cause problems. So, 
And it's a, there's an open question of like if Harry were born 2000 years ago and they invented psychohistory, then would there still be enough time to like write the ship and get it to steer straight down the track? Or mm-hmm. would this fall still already like when was the fall inevitable? Yeah. Um, once you get and the, yeah, so the thing is like once you get the galaxy on even keel, it's psychohistory mean that you could eternally keep it there. And what does that even mean? Um, Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to see. We'll have to see where this show goes with this uh, these questions. Ryan's up next says during your discussion of the new day, Cleon berating his statisticians. You mentioned the similarity of someone using the voice for power and control vis-a-vis Dune. I giggled when you made the Dune connection, but not the obvious one. The statistician who collapsed dead was none other than Ian McNeese, <laughs> who played the Baron Vladimir Harkonnen in Sci-Fi's 2000 Dune remake miniseries. <laughs> wow. I did not realize that because I only saw the Dune uh, sci-fi series once and it was like when it first came out and I didn't think a lot of it. But now that you mention it, this guy, if I take 20 years and I think I think he's about as heavy because the Baron's always portrayed as fat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think I think, yeah, I can squint and see. That's pretty. <laughs> that's pretty funny, though. But it was such a Vigo Mortensen broke his toe in the scene moment for me at the podcast. And I'm such a huge fan. I instantly had to let everyone around me know. Well, I'm glad I gave you that uh, moment's pleasure. It's unintentional. Uh, it's, I, but, you know, I was compelled to do it because, you know, that was my pl- my my part to play in the cycle podcast. Uh, I have some other rambling thoughts about the show as well. I think the idea of a genetic dynasty for the TV adaptation of Foundation is a masterstroke by David S. Goyer and the rest of the creative team. Makes one half of storytelling that much easier with the time jumping as the Emperor does not need to be recast. When you land on talent with such ranges as Lee Pace and Terrence Mann, the Empire storyline becomes much more interesting and impactful to the viewer. Cleon is also an anagram of clone. A fun little call out. <laughs> yeah. Jesus, why yeah. didn't I pick up but, on that? Yep. Well, the thing is, is Cleon the first is in the book, right? Uh, it's an actual Asmovian character, but there's no cloning in the books. So it's kind nice. of like this... Like backronym or uh, a, a yeah. backros uh, anagram, uh, but it is funny. I wonder if I that I wonder if that's something uh, that they were playing with in the writers' room and how they kind of like came up with. Because I agree, I think this is the single best insight into the story. Yes, the like you know how can you give the other side a drama because the books feels very much like the protagonists are just doing things and buffaloing people and. Um, coming up with this genetic dynasty so you can see the, you know, this this consistent set of antagonists that are all so different, but you also feel familiar with them and they're, they're a character unto themselves collectively. I think that's such a cool idea. And it's mm-hmm. clearly the thing that's captured your 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 and I's imagination. Yeah, for sure. But um, uh, good catch. Good catch on the Cleon stuff, Ryan. Speaking Let's of clones, on. Hold, hold on. I got I got something to interject here. All right. So. This episode, we saw Harry Selden's coffin, right? His, his specially yeah. hand handcrafted, uh, personally mm-hmm. designed coffin, hand carved. Is there any chance that we see Harry Selden in in the <laughs> in the fullness of time here? Come back to be a clone dynasty of his own? Can he send his his genetic material off to his home world or something where they can? clone the man and he can be he can you know start up the dawn day dusk uh stuff for himself and become psycho history become the foundation does that mean that we get 
eight seasons of Jared Harris. I just want him back, man. I just then, want yeah, him back. Yeah, that's exactly what we should do. We should do. You got right. You got uh, you got brother Price, uh, who's the <laughs> earliest version. That's the Mad Men version of him. You've got brother what Croesus? What was what was Crozier, his name? In, yeah. Uh, Cro- brother Crozier from uh-huh. the Terror, and then then you got uh, brother brother Selden when he's uh, and and they and they always bring a clone of Ration to stab him in the stomach. That's how that's yeah. his disintegration chamber. Uh, yeah, if it means we get eight more seasons of uh, 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 of uh, of Jared Harris, then then I will accept any anything. DLH from Washington D.C. says, "When Empire and the Empire's Advocate questions Harry Seldon about his feel of psychohistory, Harry says that it's a predictive model designed to forecast behavior of very large populations. While he says he's unable to use psychotherapy to predict the actions of individuals or small-scale events, there are multiple examples where both Harry and Gale claim to do exactly that: predict specific events or the consequences of specific actions. Uh, so let's let's look at all these four exceptions, and then we'll 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 take them one by one." Uh, the first one, Gale claims the Empire will be dead within a year if it if it executes Harry and his followers. She also claims mm-hmm. that if it kills Harry, it will only accelerate the Empire's fall. So that's the first claim. Two, Harry asks for how long when the Empire's advocate says that Trantor has an Imperial library and tells Gale that stealing a manuscript would be a mercy because the library would soon burn. Three, Harry states the fate of one individual will always remain a mystery, yet he appears to believe that his death is necessary for the Foundation to succeed. And four, Harry predicted that the foundation would survive its first crisis. Are there non psychohistory explanations for each of these instances? Or are there some holes in psychotherapy? psychotherapy. Let's go back and look at this. You've said that so, twice now. <laughs> oh, that's because he's that's because they consistently spelled it that way. Oh, Usually it's just right. me being being a fuck face. But uh, <sighs> this uh, uh, D.A.L.H. was the fuck face in mm. this in- instance. Uh, I psycho can explain, history, psycho history. So uh, edit all the psycho history. Yeah, I can explain at least two of these. The okay, first let's one, go back. The first, first one is Gale, a lie. It's an intentional Gale claims, lie. Gale claims the Empire will be dead within a year if it executes Harry and his followers. I concur. You want to walk us through that reasoning? Uh, I, I think she says later on that she <laughs> lied about that. Like, I, I don't yeah, think Harry. it's a plain reading. Yeah. Yeah, Harry asked her, like, oh, so you've seen my calculations? She's like, I've seen most of them. I didn't understand it all, but enough to know that I should kind of back your play. So right. I think she, and maybe that's the thing that Harry didn't account for, that she would lie and then he would be spared. Um, you know, so I, the, could the, be, that, yeah. that's, that, that's just her making shit up. Like, that she did not right. see that in the psychohistory equations. Yeah, Two, probably because he couldn't. Two, when Harry asks for how long about the, the empires being existing and the library, not, uh, you know, stealing a manuscript from the library is going to be mercy because the library be soon burn. Um, what do you think about that one? We're talking about a man who sees 13,000 years into the future uh, through his psycho right. history. His definition of soon is probably not breakfast tomorrow, right? It's probably right. within the 500 years it'll take for the empire to fall. So just yeah, grab whatever you can. Let's smash and grab and get out of here. Yeah, he's trying to avert a 30,000 year dark ages. So I, even if this happens within 500 or thousand years, 5,000 years, that's relatively soon in, in the right. context of what we're talking about. So uh, three, Harry states that the fate of one individual will always remain a mystery. yet he appears to believe that his death is necessary for the foundation to succeed. What do you think about that one? Because I've got a I've got a pretty good read on it, I think. I mean, this is the martyr stuff, right? He just understands the power uh, of a martyr. 
because he's not predicting. I mean, he can predict what he can do because he has full agency. He can always kill himself or have sure. one of his acolytes kill him. <laughs> And he knows, so so he is no longer an individual being modeled. What's being modeled is the galaxy at large's reaction to Harry Seldon being murdered by one of his alkalites. He can put that right. into his equation, just like he could model. He he doesn't know what the empire. He doesn't know if the empire would blow up a planet. But if the empire says, "I'm going to blow up this planet," Harry could put that stimulus into mm-hmm. the equations, and it would then tell him what would happen. So like. It's not modeling an, an individual behavior. It's it's he's just a stimulus. He's an, a, a cause. And then the effect happens. Um, and then four, Harry predicted the foundation would survive its first crisis. Here's where are we talking about is the foundation a stimulus? So like the, the, the foundation being created stimulates something in the galaxy that responds to it. Or is the foundation a large enough collection of people that he has simulated, you know, as running simulations for 34 years to feed back into the equations. Like, I, I don't know the answer to that, but probably it's one of those two. Yeah, the more we talk about this, the more I'm thinking there needs to be some element that constantly readjusts psychohistory. Um, and Harry hasn't really set it up that way. Harry set up a single point in time from which you know, the, the foundation will be born, but the people don't know the plan. He, he knew the plan because he could interpret psycho history. Right. Whereas, yeah, I don't see anybody at the foundation who can do that currently. So how do you readjust? Because eventually you're going to get drift right from the plan. It's just inevitable. It's entropy. You Uh, have to put more and you have to have somebody, you know, at the chalkboard looking at the equations that then puts another stimulus, another suicide, another. And and I guess the only person we know who can do that is Gail, right? And Gail is still alive. Gail's headed toward his home planet. Yeah. yeah, I'm wondering if Gail isn't going to be that force going forward. Right. Um, Because you almost have to have it to keep any kind of plan on the rails. Yeah, I know. How is she connected somehow to the uh, to to the the vault? Um, yeah, because I will say that, like, you know, no spoil. Uh, this isn't there's no spoilers, but this is part of the thing that the books deal with. Like, how do mm-hmm. you the Harry's plan once he's dead is very rigid and brittle. Yeah. And, you know, like they're, you're dealing in probabilities, like pretty large numbers and pretty large certainties of probabilities. But still, things could go wrong. And over drift of thousands of years, you could get, you know, a suboptimal outcome. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you get it to like the just a thousand years of dark ages? That's what we're aiming for. And the book deals with that. The show has not yet. So but there's still five yeah. episodes. So um, let's move on to Ben. Says, I really liked this episode. I thought it had a really good development for the character of Dale. For everyone here who thought that Harry's death was designed for Harry, this was the episode that confirms, or designed by Harry, rather. This is the episode that confirmed the theory. When you listen to how Raish speaks when he's looking into the camera about sticking to the plan and how Gale is on a ship that has been arranged by Raish, I think it all sums up as the plan. Firstly, I'm going to start with saying that I've never read the book, nor do I like to browse the internet for any kind of spoilers. However, I came away from this episode with some new ideas about where the show is going and wonder what you both make of it. One, Gail is worried about going to Harry's homeworld because she's been accused of Harry's death. Now I came away thinking that this part uh, is this part of a much bigger plan and with this being Raish's ship and a predetermined destination. 
I was left thinking maybe we will go to Harry's home world and we'll see a clone of Harry being hidden by his people. Uh oh. It's the Jim Jim clone theory. Mm-hmm. Cloning has been shown to exist in the world. Wouldn't it make sense for Harry to have a clone as well, given what he knows? I this I, would yes, it might make sense. I don't know, but it I would mean, remove the, the martyr bit, right? Like if he were actually still kind of alive. But but if he's a hidden, like they don't, he doesn't have to yeah. announce himself. He just has to be, and also and he's if very you're looking hidden. for. If you're looking for one of those di- that what that disc behind his ear is like, it could be like one of those altered carbon situations, like where there's a like stack? a transcortical stack that, you okay. know, re- like reco- records in real time all your mental activity so that if you plug that into a clone Harry's ear, then he's just going to flutter his eyes open and be all charming, uh, articulate Jared Harris again. Maybe maybe he faked his death. Maybe he faked his death. Maybe this is something that's keeping his, uh, you know, life signs low, right? So he doesn't, you know, his heart beats once per hour or something, and he's in sort of stasis rather than dead. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, again, this, Harry's is dead. Harry's is dead in the books, and that's it. So, uh, any of these, I'm a little resistant just because I I still have, like, the core material that kind of pulls me back from those kind of drifts. But, this show really is coloring outside the lines when it comes to, 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 to book, again, for its benefit. So, I don't know. It could be going something like that. Um... Because again, you know, there was no such thing as cloning, as far as I can recall, in the original books either. So this is all a show invention. We'll see at where it goes. Uh, two, the hologram simulation of Harry really puzzled me. It's kind of insinuated that Harry's death could have been a hoax, but then how would they put a real body in that space coffin? Or was it like the training simulations we've seen before? Harry and Rache practicing out Harry's death. But again, that felt like it was adding something to the story moving forward. Anyway, I really do feel like we'll discover something on Harry's home planet that will be the key to the rest of the season. Just wanted to see what your thoughts are on this. Um, That's a real head scratcher to me because it seems like the ship thinks Raish is on board. Mm -hmm. Why the fuck would you send send a hologram of Harry dying to Raish? Like to taunt him? And how would it get that image? Because it was a very specific type of death, right? A gut wound from a knife. It's is that how he always planned on doing it? He was just going to take himself out with a yeah. gut wound. <laughs> That's rough. Uh, and like the convulsing and like the digital. I, I I don't. I have honestly that was very mysterious and weird to me. And I'm really looking forward to touching back in with Gail's story because I fucking don't know, man. Uh. Maybe the thing behind his ear is that. he's recording his death on that thing somehow oh. and uploading it to the the escape pod, which then transfers it to the ship. I I don't know. Could be. We'll have like so, so many things in the show. We'll have to see. Slappy Dappy from Twitch. While listening to your absolutely excellent as always podcast. Oh, you're going to make me blush, Slappy. <laughs> On episode four of Foundation and ruminating on this awesome show, I started thinking about the classic great man theory of history and its detractors. I assume you're familiar, but if not, here's a brief overview from Wikipedia of the central points relevant to my comment and question. The great man theory is a 19th century idea according to which history can largely be explained by the impact of great men or heroes. 
highly influential and unique individuals who, due to their natural abilities, such as superior intellect, heroic courage, extraordinary leadership abilities, or divine inspiration, have a decisive historical effect. This, use, this theory is usually contrasted with history from below, which emphasizes the life of the masses in addition to their leaders. An overwhelming wave of smaller events causes certain developments to occur. Proponents of the great man theory argue that genetic anomalies in the brains of these great men are the decisive factor by introducing an original influence into their environment. There might therefore offer original ideas, discoveries, inventions, and perspectives which would not in the mind of another individual have engendered just that conclusion. It flashes out of one brain and no other because the instability of that brain is such as to tip and upset itself in just that particular direction. So I thought uh, the support of this uh, theory of genetic anomalies was particularly interesting to compare to Sho's use of Cleon, a clone with non-unique genetics and capable of introducing an original influence as the obvious great man. I have no familiarity with the source material, so I can't tell whether or say what's Asimov's view or thesis, but between the Cleons, Harry Seldon, and the mass population groups introduced so, such far, such as Luminism, subsurface Trantorites, Anacreans, and Terminus' Seldonites, it certainly seems that the show writers are setting up this debate, and I wondered if you guys would weigh in on the foundation stance on the great man theory. Is it yours? Um, hmm. Well, let's talk about this. So what did Asimov think? I think that Asimov was probably pretty, since this was based on the rise, fall, and decline of the West uh, Roman Empire, which was written in the 18th or 19th century at the height of the great man theory, I bet a lot of this is seen through that lens. And thus a lot of Asimov stuff is seen through that lens as well. Yeah. You know, like you like, and if my, for my re- recollection of the books, you always had like some kind of, you know, uh, kind of great leader that's at the right place at the right time. They had a unique insight about the Selden crises and the guidance they received from the plan and the courage to do this or that in the face of. And, and that's what saved the day more than a collective like pressure from below. Um, but you're I think right, you're though, right. The, they, the ironic use of the great man here is sort of interesting um when the great man is the stagnation right (laughs) when the yeah the 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 special uh emperor the chosen one whatever is the guy who is keeping everything status quo yeah yeah that's it's an interesting inversion of it and and as far as like, you know, is it great man theory or is it history from below? I, I'm going to defer to like Forrest Gump's wisdom and say it's probably both, <laughs> uh, you know, like if you had Julius Caesar, the supreme tactical commander and 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 gifted uh, um, glad hander and, you know, uh, 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 shit, I'm trying to you, gifted leader, charismatic. If you put him back in hunter gatherer society with a small tribe of you know, 30, 40 Neanderthals or whatever. He's just a guy getting twigs and berries out there. You know, his, his great man doesn't amount for shit. Yeah. Uh, You take like Martin Luther King Jr. And you put him in like 1855 America. I doubt he can Mm -hmm. stop the civil war. Yeah. Like we all, the masses of us create conditions that then, you know, individual leaders are, are thrust forward into the stage or take the stage by force and then do things. But like, I don't think they can do that without, like I said, I think, I think it's both like you, 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 you know, you, you got to recognize the leadership of, of great people over, over time. 
but also without the society that they come from, what the, what mm-hmm. what 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 does the great man or woman have to do? So and it's a bit of seems pointing to, to like one of the specific monkeys on the typewriter saying that one's special because it wrote a work of Shakespeare. Well, no, right. it just the probabilities work out such that one of them had to doesn't make that right. one special. It just makes that one the one. Right. Yeah. And also, like, you know, going back to like uh, going back to Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King Jr. is like, you know what? <sighs> this is all terrible, but I'm just going to keep looking after my flock and I'm just going to be preaching to my church and I'm going to let somebody else worry about someone else would have stepped forward. In fact, there was dozens of people working in the civil rights movement in the 60s. Um, and you know, maybe John Lewis is the, the Martin Luther King that we, that, that we remember. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I, it, it's one of those things where it's like, I think it's both. You do have individual, but it, those individuals are not as important because just like we talked about earlier in the feedback, if somebody had failed to step forward in history, the conditions that caused them to step forward would have propelled someone else. Maybe not as qualified, maybe more qualified, but you know, there's just so much, there's so much luck and positioning to all this. And I, that's, that's how I feel like it works. I don't think. It's it's one or the other. Um, they wrap up. Uh, Slappy Dappy wraps up their thoughts with their their statement on it. Uh, for me, Luminism, the Trantor Subterraneans, the Outer Rim, and Selden's group seem as great examples of masses making history from below. And psychohistory, statistical predictive modeling seems consistent with the great men theory criticism. But Harry Selden or Cleon the first would be classic great men as they seem very important to opposing sides. As you mentioned in the last podcast, individuals throwing a stone causes ripples as not necessarily a prediction of the person, but the effect of the action that the same person will likely take. Again, it's kind of hard to square with Harry, who seems to be setting up outcomes through personal action affecting masses. Can you clear this up for me? I feel like this is a lot of like when we went through the like four examples of potential plot holes of psychohistory that it's like. uh <sighs> I guess if you understood psychohistory and you saw all the variables like that man that's staring at the chalkboard, it'd be really easy to go up and erase one variable and change it if you had the agency to do so. Um, And Harry was put in a position where he had a few moments of those agencies where his coming forward with the, you know, like like he was able to plan when he went public with his findings. Like he Mm -hmm. said, this is the optimum time. So he is the variable. Uh, history through accident or design has led him to be that and he can smudge the numbers and put something else later when he survives the trial he can then stab himself in the guts and alter the equation again but now apparently he's done so who else is (laughs) going to be the one that kind of guides the thing because yeah you know the psychomaster predicts the empire will fall it doesn't necessarily say when and, you know, for precision, mm-hmm. how long it's just like he's saying, like the, the dark ages could last as long as 30,000 years. But if we take decisive action, we can shorten that. So it's like, again, it's like Forrest Gump says, you know, are we uh, are we like Lieutenant Dan? We got our destiny predetermined or we're like mom's feather. We're just kind of floating on the breeze. It's it's a little bit of both. We're mostly floating on yeah. the breeze. But every once in a while we have this, the, the winds calm and we can make a decision. Um, and I'm, I'm almost certain the show is going to explore that. Because that's what that's stuff that the books cover as well. So uh, we'll have to see. We're in the middle of the first season of an eight season show. So we're very, very, very much in early beginnings. Uh, 
that's the mailbag for this week. I'm excited to see what people have to to ask uh, David Goyer. Um, excited to see what we end up asking David Goyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to be working on our outlines too. I'm really excited to see the next episode and see what you guys think of that. Remember, foundation at baldmove.com is the only way to send us feedback for the podcast. Uh, like before, uh, we're going to, I guess this is the first time, we're going to release episode six at uh, um, 3 a.m. approximately Eastern Standard Time on Friday morning. That's when the uh, the Apple embargo ends. And then we'll have a feedback episode out the following Tuesday. So that's the new pattern going forward. Fresh episode on Friday, fresh podcast covering that episode on Friday, feedback episode on Tuesday, and then we just repeat the cycle until the season's over. So uh, I think it works a lot better because we, we we had 50 minutes of feedback. We would have had like a three hour podcast that last episode. Yeah. And that's a lot of talking. It's a lot of Too talking much. in one go. So I'm glad we're doing it this way. Hope you guys like it as well. Uh, we'll see you Friday for the new episode. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.